0: So today, we're going to go through James chapter 3. If you have Bibles, turn to James 3. If you don't, we've got a couple on that table back there, and you can uh, grab one of those, and it's okay to get up. So let's read first, and then we'll get into it. James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapefruit, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, we uh, come here to learn from you. Lord, let these words be from you, Holy Spirit, as I prepared and wrote and as I speak now, we trust you, Lord, that uh, the, uh, the word that goes forth will not be um, will not uh, be, fall flat, but will go where you direct it. And we know it's like a two-edged sword. I pray that it would go into the hearts of us here. As Jason said, Lord, let us be like fertile ground for the seed that is your word, and let it uh, do the work that you intend for it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 3. This whole chapter... It's, it's the famous chapter about speech it's like talking and the words we say and and he he gets into it pretty uh pretty heavily uh so we're going to go through that so a little overview first um so he sets out to teach us in this book of James that faith works meaning faith results in action real faith inside every believer should bear fruit it should come out in a way that's like visible that you can see it um In other words, we will do what we truly believe. He encourages us to take joy in trials in chapter 1, which Jason referred to, because this faith that we have grows in steadfastness, and we become more complete. That's what the trials do in faith. Getting deeper into this letter, so we we see that James is providing believers with a series of challenges or tests to our faith. Um, And it's a way to evaluate The faith that we have—it's like the equivalent of a troubleshooting manual for your faith. So to recap, when lived out, faith can be demonstrated uh, for all to see by being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, from chapter one. Being doers of the word and not hearers only, which deceives ourselves, also from chapter one. Being um, becoming impartial as God is impartial, which we talked about a couple weeks ago in chapter two, and then taming the tongue and examples of human wisdom versus divine or heavenly wisdom and that's where we'll be today. So, speech flows from the heart. First off, it's good for us to pay attention that James uses the term of endearment. He says, "Hey brothers," he's like, "You're you're my brothers." Um as I said a couple weeks back, he's addressing like these early Christians. These these Christian, these Jewish, they're all they were all Jews at one point. Jesus came, a lot of them believed, and these early Christians, they got like They they went out. They got persecuted, and they started going out. And so his letter is to them. They're out in what's called the dispersion. They dispersed. Um, Coming off the end of chapter 2, he lays out the case that faith without works is dead. Um, Now he's moving right into speech. So words like works um, or like physical actions, words flow from our hearts um, and are a sign of what's inside. You will do what you believe. Now we're going to learn about how you'll say what you believe. If you believe a certain way, it will come out in your words. Um, So, Jesus said uh, to to, uh, give a, a little overarching blueprint. Jesus said this in Matthew 12. He said, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. So it makes complete logical sense, and Jesus said it first. So this was about 15 years or so before uh, James wrote this book. And so Jesus gave James this principle, and it never left him. And now he's writing this chapter, and it's really quite simple. James is saying, what's inside comes out. What's inside you comes out. He applies it to our actions by talking about works earlier, and he applies it to our thoughts when we were in the ch- second chapter, our thoughts about judging other people impartially. Um, we look at them. We have a judgment immediately in here. Um, it's evil judgment, by the way. And now he moves on to what comes out of our mouth, speech. Um, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's a heavy verse, especially because I'm up here teaching. <laughs> but but I will tell you, the people that teach have to teach if God tells them to teach. Like, you also, like, yeah, you're going to be judged more strict, but you don't want to say, hey, sorry God, I know you really want me to do this thing, but you know you're going to judge me pretty strict, so yeah, I don't want to be judged strict. Uh, no, that's, uh, this, is, this is hard, but it's true. Um, because truth does matter. Teaching, it's like, the, it's like the ultimate form of speaking. Um, teaching, it causes other people to know stuff. Um, and uh, its goal is to spread knowledge. A teacher's words are, are an agent of change as they go out. And they're powerful in advancing truth or equally powerful in advancing lies, like falsehoods. If you get up and preach or teach, you can spread falsehood like a wildfire, wildfire that you wouldn't if you weren't. If you didn't have a microphone, basically. So whether these are true or false, a teacher and the things he says has great consequences. Huge consequences. So teaching in this context, it would refer to uh, the organized exposition of God's word like we're doing right now. These early Christians would have had a, a similar thing. They all had these gatherings, and they they'd learn from the word, and a qualified elder would bring the word. And this type of speech, delivery of God's own truth, is supreme among all types of speech, um, and it carries the most heavy weight of judgment. Um, a preacher's job is to speak with a goal of changing the beliefs of the listener from wrong to right, from what's not God's truth to what is God's truth, or from incorrect to correct. Um, Having wrong beliefs is is the default state of of everybody, right? It's the default state of us is to not really know. So I believe something a little weird. I think God is like this because I haven't been in the Word. I think God, you know, and that's going to affect how I act and how I live my life. And the goal of preaching is to fix that. Um, So uh, Paul underscores this in 2 Timothy 2.15 where he tells us that correct preaching will be shame-free he says do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed comma rightly handling the word of truth and to to state that in the opposite way it would be poorly handling the word of truth which is the bible will will result in shame it's so it's 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 a supreme kind of kind of action here so the word of truth is god's revelation to mankind um to quote the Westminster Confession, the Word of God, which is con- contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, uses the is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify God and enjoy Him. This is the, the only rule that God has given to humans on how to glorify God and how to enjoy, enjoy Him. <clears throat> Uh, it primarily teaches what man must believe about God and what God requires of man. In it are contained all of the instructions for life, and those who presume to teach the scriptures have to take great, like great care to not teach what is not in there. Like when I'm when I'm going through this, I'm a human being and I have my own opinions about a lot of things, right? You guys know me; I'm not super opinionated, but I have them. They're up here, and I, as I'm writing them, I have to pray, like Holy Spirit guide my my typing fingers don't let this don't let what i say override what you say and that's that's something all preachers have to heavily um pay attention to Uh, and john 1 chapter 1 does tell us that jesus himself is the word so it's something that has to be handled with with great like care and and honor uh when someone stands up here and says these are the words of the Lord, it proceeds to expand, to explain, or you know, otherwise expound on on these, on the and what's in here. The and the goal is that the Holy Spirit will take what's true and drive it into our hearts. We all know that if you have a, a data set, you have a string of data. Programmers in here, and you change a couple of characters, you're not improving the data. You're making it unreadable. You're, if, I, if I get the last two numbers of Randy's phone wrong and I call him, I'm going to get somebody else. It's not, it didn't improve it because I liked sevens better than threes. You know It didn't improve the data. It got worse. Um, so the result will, will be more understanding and change lives. We want the Holy Spirit to take what's true, his word, and go into our lives and change them for the better. So eternal souls are, are on the line. Um, teaching in something other than God's word, of course, is fine as long as it's true. I mean, we a lot of us teach a lot of things in a lot of different places. Um, teachers teach. Obviously, you want it to be true. Um, but teaching from this position implies that the words you're, you're unpacking are God's words from God himself. And so we can't presume to, to fudge this at all. And so that's why... We as a church, we pray for the people who teach, and, and you guys do that, and, and thank you for that. Uh, so, yeah, the uh, there will be a stricter judgment on that great judgment day. There's, it's as Bob said, it's the bema seat. Right, you're a Christian, you're judged based on your actions, and your 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 heavenly rewards will be like based on what good did you do with what you had. And when a, when, a, when a guy who teaches the word, Jesus is going to adjust his glasses and, and get, his, get his book out and open up another book, and he's, he's going to really pay attention. All right, all right, you taught my word. There's a stricter judgment here. And so picture a courtroom. It's, it's a little bit scary, and James is kind of giving us that idea. I'm, try, you know, I'm starting to get chills a little bit. <laughs> he's telling us that preaching is vitally important. And it's an activity that's just not meant for everybody. It's just it's just not. And I think that if you're preaching, you should be called. But he moves right there into verse two, into something that we all know, like everybody, he says everybody stumbles. Okay. That's not a huge revelation, right? We all stumble. It's a nice flat statement of truth. And it's so it's so basic, it's almost like ridiculous. It's almost ridiculous. Okay. But James is building up to something that's a bit more dramatic. Um, let me read verse 2. He says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. So, so we all stumble, right? Finding good. But we're led there into this hypothetical example of this perfect person, this perfect man who doesn't stumble in the words he speaks. And when he uses the word stumble obviously he 's not talking about a halting pattern of speech, like if I mispronounce a word or whatever because i 'm going too fast or nervous, but rather it 's about something said that would trip us up in a way that would hinder or block the truth or or stop or degrade somebody 's spiritual progress right This is about God's truth. That's what the stumble. For example, a teacher of the word could be stumbling in his speech. But if he were to verbalize some opinion of his that like covered over or blocked God's truth, that would be a stumble. For a non-preacher, it would be like the sin of boasting. It's, it's a way that we speak uh, that is stumbling, or which we'll talk about later. But or flattery, or gossip, or like slander. Some of those or those those. Those sins that we do by speaking. Or lying through a mission, or selective truth-telling, like I'm just going to tell a little bit of this truth, but not the whole thing. Um, And it's that sort of thing. So that is a stumble, and everybody stumbles. But then this hypothetical person, he says, if this hypothetical person speaks only what is perfect, having zero sin in what he says, then James concludes that the rest of him will be perfect already. This hypothetical it puts a dramatic emphasis on just how difficult it is to control speech. He's saying, this is super hard to control. If this hypothetical person had it mastered, it would be the last thing he had to master. It would be the last battle for him to fight. He would have already controlled, by then, if he, if he had his speech under control, he would have already had have controlled his actions, and he would already have controlled his thoughts it would be like his final act of perfection. And obviously we know that there's only one person who's perfect and that's Jesus. And it's important to uh, to note that. So he he gives us this this really cool hypothetical. If you could control your speech, you'd already everything about you would be perfect already. Right? Clearly impossible. No one can do it. That's the point. Uh verse 3. Read along with me. Uh he if he put bits into the mouth if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So the tongue is in, the, in this. We're not really talking about the physical thing in my mouth. It's, it's, a, metaf- it's a metaphor for the whole act of speaking. It's, an, it's a metaphor. And speaking comes from the heart. So it's, he's saying it's difficult to control the tongue in the extreme. It's a small part of the body, but it has great and lasting effects on the whole of the body. Right, Just like the rudder is a small part of the ship, but it has a huge and lasting effect over the whole of the ship. So he shows us these two effective word pictures. And I really like James because he does this a lot. So horses which are these big animals, are easily controlled by a small bit held in their mouth. And I don't know much about horses, but that's all this metal business and leather up here. Um, Ships, I understand a little bit better. They're the biggest of all human vehicles, and they're very powerful, but they're they're steered by small rudders. It's just a little vein in the water that turns it. And so I really appreciate his use of these, these hypotheticals and this imagery. And, and it goes far in making these truths more clear to us. We, we, uh, it makes my job a lot easier, to be honest. And so like the horse and the ship, the tongue, which represents speech, is small. But he says the tongue boasts of great things. The tongue boasts. And he's, um, he's the master of these metaphors. With the ship... Who holds the tiller? With the horse, who holds the reins? And with the tongue, small and powerful, who controls the words? If anyone could. An uncontrolled horse is a wild horse. It goes where it wants and it does no work and it doesn't do anything productive. To control the horse, we could leave it in the stable, right? We could just lock it in a box or we could hire a qualified horse driver. There's a there's a professional name probably for that, not a horse person. Um, they're big and scary. Uh, so, but an uncontrolled ship, think about that, right? You you have this ship, the biggest of human vehicles. It would be adrift, and it, it would be a derelict, and eventually it would end up on the rocks. It would end up uh, destroyed. To control a ship, do we leave it in dry dock? Do we not put it in the water? Or do we hire a competent captain? Somebody who knows how to run the engines, how to run the rudder, and how to load it up with cargo and to get it out to sea. So there's a, there's a lot in his metaphor. But by implication, the question we have to ask is, who can control the tongue and what's the right way to, to control the tongue? Is it the right way to force it to sit quiet? like, Or like the monks are, or some people do, like I'm just going to take a vow of silence because that's somehow going to Make me holy or something? Or do we control it by a living faith in Christ? And in context, that's that's where he's headed. That's where he's headed. We control it by a living faith in Christ. So the horse and the ship are valuable. They're made to do productive works. They're made to do good works like we've been learning about. A horse can be hitched to a plow or a cart, and the horse can magnify the farmer's own muscular strength by like 100 times. And the, the farmer can do a hundred times more work, more using more force, with a horse than by his own muscles. And a ship can move more cargo in one, in one day than a man could move in his lifetime. Like literally, it, it expands and it's productive. And likewise, a human being made in the image of God is created for good works from before time began. And it's the Lord's, a human is the Lord's most preferred method of working out his divine will on this planet, right? He gave us the the uh, cultural mandate. He said, you guys fill the earth in my stead for me. You fill the earth and you order it. You tame it. And uh, we're the valuable resource that God has created to do good works. And so if, um, just as with the ship and the horse and leaving Leaving a man to run wild, with his, either with his speech or with his body, it would be a complete waste of something that, that God intended to do good things, to do his will on earth. Um, it's only by living faith in Christ, obviously, that speech can be tamed. He says plainly in verse 2, everybody stumbles. It's only by living faith in Jesus that this can, that this can even happen. It's utterly control, uncontrollable outside a life of faith. And this is, this is James' whole point. Remember, this overarching principle is that faith without works is dead, right? A ship that drifts aimlessly has no works. It's a dead ship. A horse that has no works, it, it may as well be dead. If you lock it up in its stall, it will die eventually, I think. I think horses are like that. And a, and a wild horse is worthless. It's not doing anything. Um, a tongue left uncontrolled will bring death. And he, and he says that a little bit later. And it will destroy the man by whom the tongue is attached. Uh, A tongue without good speech, like the equivalent of good works, has to be a sign. It is a sign of of dead faith. He says if you don't have good works, it's a sign that your faith is sick or dying. Same with speech. It's a source of... uh, So this next part, we're going to read... It gets very dramatic, so hang on to your seats. Um, Verse 5, we're going to learn about how the tongue is a source of destruction. And this, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So this is the equivalent of James chopping through our front door with his fire axe and running around the room yelling, fire, fire, fire. Like he's saying, it's all, it's all on fire. Your whole house is on fire. You get. There's fire everywhere. The tongue is fire. The results are fire. It's all going to end up in the fires of hell. It's very dramatic, and I and I, and I kind of like that. James is he's a good writer. Um, so though it's a small part of a man, a tongue, or speech, you know, as a metaphor for speech, has the power to set the whole life ablaze, right? And I think we all kind of know this as believers. As I'm, I know that, uh, I I will have to say this. You guys, you guys do this. You guys are very, very good. And there's a lot of faith in this room, and there's a lot of controlled speech, and I it's good. It's good. Keep keep doing it. Um, so from fire to fire goes the lifespan of sinful words spoken outside. The control of the living faith. So and hell itself is the destination of, of this of this kind of unrighteousness. And James makes this point with this extreme imagery. He's yelling, fire! It's extreme imagery. It's a stain. He calls it an untamable beast. It's a stain. It's, it's full of deadly poison. And, you know, if you could store speech in a barrel, it would have the skull and the crossbones on it, and it would be locked in a concrete room somewhere. Uh, he's, he's basically saying, you guys, speech is dangerous. It's dangerous. It can do so much damage. It can do so much unrighteous harm. He's like, pay attention. I'm going to use all these, you know, I'm going to... He's being very dramatic about speech. Very dramatic. Um, So we know that James was um, influenced a lot by the Proverbs, a lot of the way he writes and things, and so I found a couple of these Proverbs which I think help him make his point. Um, Proverbs 119 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. In other words, it's smart to talk less. Uh, Proverbs 15:4 says a gentle tongue is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Perverseness in speech can break a spirit. Proverbs 18:21 says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so he's not saying all speech is bad, right? Death and life. It can be it's a it's a super powerful tool. Um, I heard it once said that every sort of evil in the world finds an ally in the tongue. If there's an evil out there, and there's someone who's willing to speak about it, it's an ally. So there's an old children saying, does anyone know what it is? It starts with sticks. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? It's like, I don't know where that came from, but it's pretty stupid, and it's completely, it's completely false. If you get beat with a stick or hit with a rock... Those cuts are going away, right? That, that will heal unless you have some weird disease, that, but on the whole, that, he, that cut, that bruise will go away. So much, the pain, will, the pain will pass, the cut will heal, the bleeding will stop, and even over time, the, the memory of that will stop. When I was four years, no, it's closer to six because I remember it. There was this. There was, We met these new group of people from church, and we went over to their house. And I had this. This guy was my, was going to be my friend, you know. I was, and then he had a younger brother, and he threw a rock at me, and it hit me right here in the forehead. And I still have a little scab right there. I'll never forget it, but I don't. And it. <laughs> I will tell you, it hurt, but I don't remember it hurt because things heal. So that statement, that child's statement is completely wrong. The scab was is long gone, and I don't even remember the pain. But, as we all know, words can cut right to the heart. And the, the wounds that they make can last an entire life. And like James says, you can light your life on fire, like from with the fires of hell, by words. And especially words that respond you know of a, from a mind from speech that's faithless and sinful uh he makes and, and is full of unrighteousness it's super dangerous and he makes he makes no bones about it faith or sorry speech can torch can torch your life speech can torch your life and that is that's 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 a pretty strong warning he's uh he's not beating around the bush um to continue if you guys look down with me to verse 9 he says With it, we bless our Lord and Father, with the tongue he's speaking of. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursings. My brothers, there's that term again, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond Yield fresh water, so with our our words, we can bless and we can curse, we can praise and we can slander uh as James says, he says these things ought not to be so hes it's It's like the rule of ought it it just ought not to be so, so if we think we're above it all because we're not cursing God, but I'm cursing a person, God's word says otherwise. It says otherwise. That person is made in the very image of God, and God's image means something. It's not worthless. He said these things ought not to be so. Um, like salt and fresh water can't come from the same spring or a tree. Like a one, one kind of tree could bear the fruit of another kind. He's using this argument from nature. Like he's not going to. He's not going to God's law, and he's not. He's not pulling up the Mosaic texts, and he's saying. This is a plain and simple thing that we can see by the trees that are growing around here. In this freshwater spring, you can't get salt water out of it. These things ought not to be. So, um, I did hear a preacher that once said, Our words are a barometer, a barometer of our spiritual condition. And you ought not to be in two conditions at once. In fact, I'd say it's impossible. And so, to read uh, further. Verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So, in verse 13, he's kind of shifting, shifting gears here. And in your Bibles, you might, you might have a heading, which is added later, uh, that says wisdom or something along those lines. So, we, let's back up and take a wider view. So as I mentioned briefly earlier, he, he's writing – the book of James is is wonderful. He's essentially like a faith troubleshooting manual. Um, it, in my hands, like, I have this book, and, and he wrote this thing, and it's complete with – it has a series of examination points, and it has examples, and it has these glossy, dramatic visuals. Like I can flip a page, and, wow, well, there's a picture of the whole house on fire like that. That's a lot of fire. So it's it's got visuals. It's got – it's got ways for us to trace and to pinpoint and examine our own faith and like the status, like how am I doing on our own faith by looking at by looking for these things. There are certain signs in here. There's good signs. There's positive signs and there's negative signs. This is this is a troubleshooting manual. Um, it's a lot like uh, judging the status of a used car. Like we've all bought used cars, right? Um, there's a, if the driver's seat is like unusually like, wear-free and, like, the pedals are, like, wear-free, then we know that this car is, like, more – it's driven more highway miles than off-highway miles. Um, am I right, Randy? Uh, it, you know, it's, if if the headlights are, like, yellow and fog, you know that thing has never been in a garage, no matter what they say. Um, and, and and if the body panels, right, to speak more in Nick's language, if they're, like, really close over here, but on this side, they're like, oh, that's, that's a quarter-inch gap, like, and that thing's, that thing's been in the shop. That thing's had some body work done. I don't care if they say it's been wreck-free. Um, so in, in the same way, we get a list of these things to check in the book of James, in the faith troubleshooting manual. And am I quick to anger? Well, that's a warning light. That's a warning light in my manual. That's, that's not good. Am I impartial? That, that's good. That's a green light on my dash there. It's a good sign that my faith is, is healthy. Do I obey the word after I hear it, or am I a hearer who doesn't do, therefore deceiving myself? That's something I can trace to see how my faith is doing. Um, That, you know, if I obey the word after I hear it, good sign. That's a green light. So he gets down to the application of this all, and he asks the rhetorical question, Who is wise and understanding among you? An understanding among you. In other words, he's saying, "You've heard me. You've heard me write all this. Who here is paying attention? Who here is paying attention, brothers? Where's, where's my brothers at? It's by our good conduct, he says, that the evidence of our faith. The evidence of our faith is shown by good conduct, and the Lord through His word, right." ...instructs us that we need to display these good works in wisdom, and specifically here, it's interesting, in wisdom, a type of wisdom that is meek, type of wisdom that is meek and comes from above. So wisdom like faith, and born by faith, uh, can flow out and show in, like, in good works. There's a meek or humble way of doing things, and this shows wisdom. Um, One commentator says that true wisdom is evident by his meek, meek manner. Those who do their good works in a way designed to bring attention to themselves shows the true lack of wisdom, right? It's boasting. It's boasting. Meekness is a bit of an unused or or misused word in our culture, but it's tied closely with the word humility, which we all understand a little bit more. Um, The Greek word for it, means gentleness, but not in a passive gentleness, growing out of weakness or resignation. It's it's an active attitude of deliberate acceptance. That's the, the Greek definition of the word meek. So seeking attention for yourself in doing good would indicate a lack of true wisdom, but wisdom and living faith are shown in meek or humble and selfless good works. So... As we do good works in meekness and wisdom, let's keep God's word. Specifically, this this book of James, this troubleshooting manual, close at hand. Use it to see if we've got those signs of a dead faith, the signs of bitter jealousy or selfish selfish ambition. And the charge for James is, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, pay attention. We have to keep an eye on this. Don't boast and be false to the truth. And to back up and read a verse out of chapter 1, he says, If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, then his, this person's religion is worthless. It's like literally worthless, he's saying. doesn't matter what you do. If you don't control the words that come out of your mouth, your religion is worthless. doesn't matter. So, if we don 't control our speech, then even we are deceived. Note that in verse fourteen, we're commanded to control our speech even if or even while there could be jealousy and selfishness in our hearts. Faith can be weak and it can be small, but we know it can be built up um, by staying in the word Romans ten seventeen says "Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of christ that 's the Bible meek wisdom is shown through actions that glorify God. It doesn't boast or satisfy jealousy and selfishness. Right? Meekness and humility since they're connected and God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Another famous verse. So this kind of wisdom, you know, having come down this chapter, he says you can't control it. This kind of faith-produced speech, this kind of wisdom can only come from the Lord. It can only come from above there um, it's the only way for true control. He told us back in chapter 1 that we should ask God for wisdom. And he told us that we'll get it for sure if we do, if we ask in faith. Don't Don't ask for it unless you're asking for it in faith. And so I want to end with this last piece. James is giving us these pictures of wisdom. He starts us off in speech. Here's speech. The tongue is, can boast, um, but boasting is, is the earthly kind of wisdom. And to end this thing, he lays out these – and he contrasts these two types of wisdom. Verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, so referring to um, the, the bad kind of speech. But it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist – there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so we've got, we've got divine wisdom that comes from above and wisdom that comes from the flesh. The first, type, the first type of wisdom comes from a perfect God, and the second type – It doesn't. It comes from us. The Greek word used suggests that the earthly wisdom has to do with the body. And it's like uh, the soul or emotions, but not the spirit. And so the King James calls it sensual. In other words, it's like of the senses, right? It's it's wisdom that I have in my person and that I have somehow made up over time, and it's just complete falsehood. It's complete baloney. Um, And he lays out these seven characteristics of each of these two types, right? First, we have this faithless or worldly wisdom, and it's earthly, which is like from from below. It's unspiritual. It's you know, it's of the senses. It's demonic. It, it's uh, uh, used by the devil. It's jealous. It's selfish. It's disorderly and vile. And we can see that like, clearly. The, these are the things that he's warning us about in in speech. We have speech like this. We're going to burn the house down. We're just going to burn it. By contrast. Uh, the divine or heavenly wisdom achieved only through faith is pure, which is a synonym of holy. Right? It's holy. It's peaceable, which means it's not like it's, we're not getting in these quarreling fights. There's there's no strife. It's gentle or and considerate of others. Um, it's open to reason, it, which is a characteristic of meekness and humility. If you if you're not humble and you're not meek, you're not. No one's going to reason with you because you you've got all the answers. So. Divine wisdom is open to reason, and it's merciful. We talked about in chapter 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. We should live as people who are judged under the law of liberty, which is Christ's law. It's love God, love others. Um, That takes us, that reminds us of that. It results in good fruits and is impartial and sincere, which we talked about in chapter 2. So... Keep this uh, troubleshooting manual handy. Check up on our speech, right? This is what this is for. We're, we're to hear the word and to do something about it so that we're not to deceive ourselves. And some of us here, like, overall, guys, like, I've got, this is an amazing church. Keep doing what you're doing. There's not a lot of slander. There's not a lot of gossip. I don't know everything, but I don't see it. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Let that be a great encouragement. But, you know, the Holy Spirit had, had us go through this chapter. And so, if you're one of those people who are convicted about something, um, pray. Read the word and pray. He wants us to desire this righteousness and peace. And it's only through Him and the faith that He gives us that we can continue this walk. You know, every day we're getting better, we're getting a step closer to Christ. So, you know, pray and, pray and ask f- for help because he will help he says he will give you that wisdom and ask him faith and ask him to build your faith it's only by his power that we can like truly control our tongue verse 18 says the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace it's a beautiful beautiful verse we want this we want peaceful righteousness we want righteousness and we want peace, and we want whatever they are when they're combined. We want that. Uh, so plant those seeds. Plant those seeds with your mouth, with the words that come out of your mouth. Plant those seeds of peace and righteousness into each other. So use your words to lift up, to build up. Look for people that are discouraged and who need that encouragement. And so words – and think about this, these two types of wisdom. Words that are pure, peaceful, gentle, reasonable – Merciful, impartial, and sincere, words that come from divine wisdom. That stuff is from the Lord. You guys, we can do this, and we are doing it in in this room in many ways. So I'll leave you guys with this. Um, We read it in Psalm 19. The last verse is, is so great. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's David's prayer, and that's our prayer. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you hear what I'm saying. This is our prayer. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable in your sight. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be fertile and that you would drive this home to to the spots where we need to hear it, Lord. Maybe not everybody, maybe not the whole way, but, Lord, give us that speech that comes from uh, true faith in you. And we thank you for delivering us, Lord, and for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.